Welcome to the broadcast. Every Arizona homeowner's best friend. Thanks for tuning in. It's Rosie on the house. Your weekend wake-up tradition. Hard living is the life for me. Come on around back, Arizona. It is Saturday morning, 8 o'clock. It's Rosie on the house, your Saturday morning tradition since 1988, fourth Saturday of the month. So on our outdoor living hour, we have Farmer Greg joining us to talk about urban farming at your own home castle or cabin. You don't need a lot of space. You can even do it in patios, condos, uh, in anywhere you've got light, a balcony, a window. But today... You might, need, you might need a little space for today's topics. We're talking about livestock for your yard. And uh, Good morning, Farmer Greg, and you've brought along a guest with you as well. Hello, hello. I have Kari Spencer with the Microfarm Project. And she is our resident expert here at the Urban Farm on backyard livestock. And what we call livestock might surprise you a little bit. The, the, we're not we're not looking for the dairy cow or the oxen or the drafting mules, right? So we're primarily going to be talking about chickens and goats, uh, but um, we have some other surprises along the way. So, really, what we want to do is start by talking about the benefits of keeping, let's say, chickens in your yard, Kari. Yeah, why would you want to do that, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, well. There are more benefits than we're going to be able to talk about today, but the example of chickens, the obvious thing is eggs. Right. right? Yeah. Or meat yeah, if you want to or, raise. Mm-hmm. Or meat for some people. Chickens are great at composting. They're a lot of fun to have around. <laughs> um, you can use the feathers. You can use every part of the animal for something, for fertilizer, for all sorts of different things. And uh, and the chickens also c- that lay eggs aren't the chickens that we use for meat process, raising meat. <laughs> that in general, that's true. Yeah, Romy, we um, the chickens that we raise for meat, they grow really fast, and they grow really big, really fast, mm-hmm. and they're not they're not very good egg layers. On the other hand, the egg layers tend to be lighter weight. And they can live for a very, very long time. And they're the ones that we, that we get the eggs from. And we generally don't mix the two because that really stresses out the flock. <laughs> right. Well, and, and meat birds. So I've actually raised meat birds here at the Urban Farm. About uh, 10, 12 years ago, I raised 25 meat birds over the course of the year. And one of the things that I discovered is that if they get to 10 weeks old, the way they grow, they grow so fast and so heavy, they can no longer walk. And that, that is true for some. And in yeah. that 10-week time frame, that's not even half the time a laying chicken needs bef- life-wise before she even starts laying. You know, they, they don't start laying till about six weeks <laughs> or six months, I'm sorry. Six months, exactly, exactly. And so one of the things I discovered while I was butchering the meat birds about a decade ago here at the Urban Farm one of my hens, laying hens, went lame. And she couldn't walk anymore. So I put her out of her misery and uh, butchered her. And 
the size of her breasts were about the size of a quarter. The size of the breasts on the meat birds were like a pound and a quarter each. It takes so, a lot of energy to lay an egg every it day. It does. <laughs> it does. So that's, yeah, that's the difference um, really between meat birds and uh, laying hens. And like Kari had said, you know, your chickens, your egg layers, they will live a long time. Now, they won't lay consistently that whole time, but there's a lot more function, as you were mentioning, than just eggs. Yeah, that's right. Um, you know, they, you're correct that they don't lay their whole life, but they do other things. Like, they're good at gardening, for example. <laughs> you know, if you let them loose for just a little while in your garden, they will go and run around and find bugs and scratch through that uh, soil and air, do a little aerating, and they can help to break down your compost. A lot of things that chickens can do besides lay eggs. Leave fertilizer behind. Yeah, yeah, our for sure. Our buddy Don over at the um, bee oasis out in Mesa has four large garden beds in his backyard and one portable chicken coop. And each quarter, so every three months, he moves the chicken coop from one bed to the next. So during the course of a year, one bed gets the chickens tilling and fertilizing, and then when he moves it, he plants it, plants the bed that they got done with. So he rotates okay. his crops with chicken. Exactly, exactly. And so in permaculture, you guys have heard me talk about permaculture before. Permaculture, I like to call the, call the art and science of working with nature. In permaculture, we call this stacking functions. And basically what that means is we have one asset, in this case, a hen, a laying hen, that does multiple things for us over the course of their lifetime. The way we use them at our house is the ones that lay, we keep in a cage. I mean, it's a big cage. It's a couple hundred square feet. And we'll yep. have a dozen to two dozen at any given time. And what we'll do is we'll always get a different breed so we can tell the age of the chicken. And that Ooh. way, when breed, you know, our buff Orpingtons hit the three-year mark, we'll move them out to the orchard. And then they just live in the orchard the rest of their life. If we let the laying chickens do that, our dogs would eat all the eggs and we'd never get any eggs. So we have to keep them caged so we get the eggs. But then the dogs, will they'll, they'll take care of them and they'll protect them, their border collies. And uh, they, I mean, they'll herd them just like they herd uh, the, the cows or any other flock. And oh, they just So then they just kind of move out and find their own roost in the orchard. Um, you know, once they're done at a, as premier layers, and then, like Kari was saying, you know, we get the fertilizer, we get the scratching, we get the insect control all out in the orchard, just they yeah. all hands free, right? And Kari, can you say a little bit about the laying process? So, Romy already mentioned that it takes them about six months to mature enough to start laying. Then, what happens? Well, then they start laying, they'll start with small eggs generally. And they get bigger as the hen gets older. Um, they lay, well, it depends on the breed. Some breeds can lay an egg a day, just about, mm -hmm. right? And, and others, not as many. Like generally the, um, the colored eggs that everybody likes, those breeds can lay less often, but they, of course, they make those blue and green beautiful eggs. 
and as the hen gets older, the eggs get bigger, but they they get fewer and fewer. Right. That's one of the things I've noticed is that the older they get, the eggs get bigger, but we get them less often. And go through some of y'all's favorite laying breeds of chicken. If somebody hasn't got them before, you can go uh, to any livestock shop throughout the state and find a wide variety. Um, And a lot of that, I've noticed, depends on what hatchery they're buying from. They could be Mm -hmm. buying from New Mexico or California or Ohio. So the variety from those different uh, hatcheries varies greatly. What what have y'all enjoyed? Well, let me jump in here first. Western Ranchman, Scotty and Amy over at Western Ranchman, they're rock stars. That's my favorite store in town. Been in Arizona, what, 70 years at that location? Something like that. Absolutely. And they always have a good supply in the spring and the fall. One of my favorites is the Easter Egger or Americana, as they call them. Those are the ones that lay the blue and green and sometimes brown eggs. And they're pretty reliable. You know, we get still, we've got five-year-old hens now and we're getting out of eight of them, we're getting three to four a day. Which is plenty for two people. Right. And enough to share as well. Kari? I really like Buff Orpington, but they're they're kind of a heavy breed. They eat a lot for the mm-hmm. eggs that you get. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are a number of lightweight breeds, um, but what I would recommend that people do is go online. There are resources that you can Google and find that you can put in what what it is that you want out of a hen, <laughs> and it'll give you recommendations. And I would also ask around and find out what breeds do really well where you live. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because there's some that'll like the heat better, some that'll like the cold better. So depending where you are in the state, you know, you're going to probably get a little bit different breeds. Yeah, that's correct. Now, what does a chicken need? If I'm going to um, start my own little flock in the backyard... What do I need to start looking at, uh, situation-wise? If you're starting with hens that are um, past the chick phase, <laughs> because they have a whole different set of needs. So if you're if you've got what I call teenage teenagers or adult hens, then you need some sort of housing. It doesn't need to be fancy, but they do need a roof over their heads. They need some protection from predators. One of, the, one of the key <laughs> things that I learned about 10 years into my experiment of keeping chickens is that you want the laying boxes to be low and the roosting bars to be high. I uh, built maybe 10, 12 years ago, I built a coop with the nesting boxes high in back so I could uh, open the back and pull the eggs out. And what I found is that they were sleeping in the nesting boxes. And uh, either of you know what hens do when they sleep? <laughs> they, they, that's when they drop most of their fertilizer. Exactly. <laughs> they, they, they are dropping most. So what we were ending up with was laying boxes full of manure, oh. which is not, yeah, that's not a good thing. So when you're building your coop, put the laying boxes low and the, the roosting bars high. And you know what I did for the laying boxes uh, is super simple. Okay, and 
And I'm going to leave everyone hanging on that word. We can do a lot, but we can't stop the clock. More with Farmer Greg and Kari Spencer of The Micro Project right after this. Chicks and ducks and geese better scurry. Chicks and ducks and geese better scurry. When I take you out in the Surrey. When I take you Continue our chicken conversation, or ba- well, part of uh, our livestock conversation. We're on chickens right now, and we had... I had to pause Farmer Greg as he was going to something really simple he discovered on his laying boxes. And I'll let you just pick up right there, Farmer Greg, and take it away. So there are all kinds of things you can do for laying boxes. You can buy expensive ones. You can buy not expensive ones. What I did about 10 years ago is I took 15-gallon tree tubs. After we plant your trees, get yourself a 15-gallon tree tub, lay it on its side, mount a two by four on the front of it so that it, the two by four comes up about three inches over the lip and put some hay in there. And then just let them jump in and lay. Per- they just Perfect. jump in and lay, yes. And if you're not planning on planting a bunch of 15 gallon, you could probably go to any nursery and there's usually a yep. stack of them off to the side. They'll, you know, I'm, some may charge you a few pennies, some may just say, you know what, these dinged up ones, take those. Right, exactly. So that's, that is the simplest way I've found in keeping hens for 22 years. The other thing that we have to be really cognizant about is predator-proofing our coop. You all know that we here at the Urban Farm are near 16th Street and Bethany Home. That is right in the middle of Phoenix. In the past five years, we have actually lost hens to bobcats, Again, right in the middle of Phoenix, and there's been raccoons on our back patio. And just the other day, there was a coyote running down my street. So you actually have to build a predator-proof coop. And anybody that wants more instruction can reach out to me. I'll, we can interact via email, greg at urbanfarm.org. But basically what you need to do is you need to use hardware cloth and build a build a coop that has hardware cloth that goes down into the ground so they can't even dig in. Um, And what I found was that using the hardware cloth that has the half inch by half inch squares will also keep out other birds and rats. And that's actually important for the, um, to keep disease from infiltrating your flock. Mm -hmm. Doves, especially I've not had um, that I've noticed any, but I know a lot of people say doves are one of the primary things you want to keep out of chicken pens. Mm. Oh, there you go. And I don't know if that's because they're migratory and they carry a lot of stuff or, or whatever the case. Yeah. Be. I used, what I used for the roof of my chicken coop was the welded wire fencing that hole had hole, has holes in it two inches by four inches. The sparrows get through there. Rats can go right through there. So in the future, if I'm ever to build another coop, uh, I am using the half-inch by half-inch hardware cloth all the way around. And, Carr, you've got some information for homeowners on looking up the regulations. There are some HOAs, some city ordinances uh, to be aware of. How do you identify whether or not your backyard legally can uh, house a chicken flock? Well, some cities will post that directly, or you may have to Google the regulations and find for your municipality what the rules are. You can also call your 
your city offices and ask them. In Phoenix, uh, we just have a few regulations. We're pretty relaxed here. If you have 10,000 square feet and you can keep the coop 80 feet from your neighbor's house. <laughs> Not um, property line, house. That's really important. House. And you and you don't have roosters because that's not allowed in Phoenix, then you're pretty good to go. And one thing that I would mention is that most of the regulations are, they're complaint driven. So if your neighbors don't care, then... There's no one driving (laughs) around and looking in your backyard to see if you've got chickens. (laughs) That's right. But even if you have followed all the regulations, if your chickens are an annoyance and somebody calls it in, they'll come and check. And that's no fun to have an inspector come. So you want to make sure that, you know, you're keeping the smell down and the flies down and the noise down. Um, And if you can get in writing that your neighbors have said it's okay to have chickens, then that's even better situation. Um, I think it's a great idea to share eggs <laughs> with your neighbors. That helps a lot. <laughs> yeah, that helps a that helps a whole lot. But um, HOAs, those are are another animal, right? <laughs> HOAs have right. all kinds of different rules, and so you need to contact your association and find out what they say. And uh, you know, you may have to get creative. <laughs> We actually know somebody in our in our chicken keeping community here in the valley who discovered that his neighbor was keeping uh, wild tropical birds in his backyard. So tropical birds were allowed, chickens were not allowed. So he renamed his chickens tropical jungle fowl. <laughs> <laughs> and went to the HOA and say, hey, I've got tropical jungle fowl here. And and um, now, last I heard, they had uh, multiple families in that HOA keeping tropical jungle fowl. Tropical jungle fowl. That is brilliant. <laughs> Where there is a will, there's a way. And, uh, we're talking about backyard livestock today. And Rosie on the house, the fourth Saturday of the month, we have Farmer Greg in talk about establishing an urban farm at your home, castle, or cabin. We're joined by Kari Spencer of the Micro Farm Project. We've got a lot more to talk about here right after this. There ain't nobody here but us chicken. There ain't nobody here at all. You stomping around. Thanks for sticking with us. And if you're just joining us again, we've got Farmer Greg of the Urban Farm and Kari Spencer of the Micro Farm Project, two local urban farmers here in Arizona that are joining us to help educate and inspire you to grow your own, uh, whether it's food. But today we're talking livestock, uh, backyard livestock. And Farmer Greg, you had mentioned um, in the last segment about maybe it was Kari, roosters aren't allowed. Why mm-hmm. is that? And then there's a couple myths about roosters you wanted to address because you say it's the most common question you get asked yep. when talking about chickens. Yeah, so the two myths that I like to bust around chickens. Number one is roosters crow at sunrise. Not at all. Roosters crow 
And uh, you can actually... It's, it's I think just it's, most annoying at sunrise. <laughs> exactly. Well, unless it's at 2 o'clock in the morning, which they do. And, um, and the, other th- the other myth about roosters is that you actually need a rooster to get eggs. You need a rooster to get chicks. You don't need a rooster to get eggs. So you can have a whole flock of hens and never have a rooster around, and you can get a nice supply of eggs. And you would just have to re buy new hens as uh, as they aged out and that's what we've done we um having a rooster is a pain in the neck we're not in an area where we have any restrictions on them but i ordered uh of two dozen uh-huh buckeyes uh heirloom breed of chicken and the grower was out of california but it was a it was a small farm and they didn't have any kind what they call sexting there's no guarantee that these are all female oh, or right. male. You get what you get. Out of the two dozen, we ended up with four hens. So that means we had 20 roosters. Wow. That was a nightmare. We didn't eat chicken for like four or five months after that. <laughs> <laughs> and they get mean. They're just not worth having around. Oh, yeah, exactly. I just looked exactly. them up on Google, though. They say Buckeyes are friendly and easygoing. <laughs> Oh. The hens, the hens are the hens not the are, roosters, yeah. but not the roosters, right? There you go. <laughs> so I let's let's stumble our way into goats. I know Kari has kept goats before. I never have. Um, what do what do goats bring to the party, Kari? <laughs> well, milk, <laughs> and with milk you can make cheese and mm. all kinds of things. Uh, there are people who are allergic to cow's milk, Mm -hmm. and many of them can tolerate goat milk because, you know, some of the proteins are different in it. Also, um, you know, people are looking for unpasteurized milk these days, and if you milk your own goats, then you have that unpasteurized milk that you know exactly where it came from. You don't have to worry that it might make you sick because you know that you've handled it correctly. Right? I, I have to tell you, the one place I miss in Arizona is a place called uh, Fossil Creek Farms. It's near the Fossil Creek Wilderness Area. Mm-hmm. And they were famous for making fudge with goat's milk. Oh, yes. It was delicious, creamy, and mm. I, I would I would just after my hike down the wilderness area I would go pick up about two or three pounds of it and it, <laughs> and, it, and you walk out and the goats are sitting there in the pen and they're smiling at you. <laughs> so, but the thing the thing with goats though is they need to be milked every day, right? It's a big commitment. <clears throat> but there's a lot more with the milk when we were doing it. Um, Amanda was making soaps and lotions. Um, I was, I had learned how to make cheese. That's a very fascinating process. Um, I had fresh milk every single morning and something that came up is, you know, for, uh, we, we actually ended up with a couple of our friends that had just recently had a baby and for whatever reason they weren't, the moms weren't able to produce enough milk. Well, there's a certain element of just going to the store and buying 2% that you don't want, you don't want that for your baby. So we actually had a couple uh, nursing mothers regularly coming to pick up milk. Oh, wow. But every single morning I was out there. <laughs> yep. Yeah, exactly. And what else do uh, goats bring to the game, Kari? 
<laughs> fertilizer. Yeah, lots of it. <laughs> yeah, um, you know, goat poop is one of those fertilizers that you can put directly on your garden at the beginning of a growing season, and it'll break down slowly over time. You don't want to put it on maybe right before you're going to harvest. <laughs> you might maybe compost it first at that point, but but it's great. It is great for your garden. And even the, uh, you know, they, they eat hay and they'll waste some of that hay. And that's great to put in your compost pile. It's, it's wonderful for the compost pile. They'll eat hay, so they can- they'll eat bark, they'll eat your flowers, they'll eat your <laughs> lawn, they'll eat the leaves off your trees. They'll eat the bark off the trees. Oh, we've lost several trees to uh, being stripped by, by the bark being stripped from goats. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yes. We have a, we had a Palo Verde tree that was just outside our pen, and the side that hung over to the goats was pretty bare. <laughs> Because they would eat that with thorns and all. I don't know how they did that, but yeah, they eat everything. And so let's. Sh- but they're they eat everything, but the cost to feed them compared to what you get, I'd have to say the the food intake ratio to the productiveness. They're one of the most efficient animals out there. They are very efficient, and like you mentioned, if you're making cheese and soap. And, you know, getting all these things out of the milk that you are um, getting from that animal, then it's a lot more cost effective than if you just are keeping a goat as a pet and feeding it. (laughs) That's for sure. Now, just like we were talking about the roosters, well, we've got to talk about the billy goat side of goats as well. Oh, yeah. We had a buck. His name was um, Casanova. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. And he was just a, he was a delight, but he smelled so bad. And they do. They smell pretty bad. So if you have a small property, maybe you don't want one in your backyard. Um, And also, some people have said that if they keep their buck near their Um, milk goats that it can taint the flavor of the milk. I didn't notice that, but a lot of people do say that. I would, I could believe that because they are stinky, but here's the kit, the, the, the thing you, to get milk, the goat has to have a baby and then you, and then you gradually wean the baby off of the mom and you keep milking the mom and as long as you keep milking her she'll keep producing so you have to have at least one kid to get started on milking that's right but you know the stud doesn't need to live with you <laughs> necessarily yeah and there are people who rent out their buck services <laughs> if you're interested in goats and you want to know about that i would ask i would ask around in your urban farm community and, and find out who can provide that service. And the urban farm community, uh, you know, obviously we've got Kari Spencer's a, a great resource. Uh, Greg Peterson's a great resource. But, Greg, you had mentioned Western Ranchmen. Well, I would just tell anybody, oh. go to their local feed shop wherever yeah. you are. And, I mean, that's that's your first start of getting immersed in your local 
your local community, and a lot of them will have bulletins and uh, you know boards that you can paste wanted signs or offer service. Yeah, and be careful. There are Facebook pages for all of these topics, but one of the things that I noticed on the Facebook pages is that, and how do I say this kindly? There's a whole lot of misinformation that gets handed out. Uh, so if you are asking, uh, if you're asking questions on Facebook pages, you have to consider the source and make sure that you um, vet whatever they're telling you. Uh, I just, you know, I look at some of these Facebook pages and I just shake my head. It's like, hold on, and I'm the fruit tree guy, right? So I'm on fruit tree Facebook pages all the time. And I'm just, more often than not, I'm shaking my head saying, yep, that is never going to work. <laughs> so, uh, yes, yeah, start with your local feed shop. That's where I would start. And what are some of your favorite types of goat breeds, Kari? What have you had over the course of the years? Um, my favorite is the Nigerian minis because they're so darn cute and uh, they don't make as much milk, but they're smaller goats. So if you have a smaller space, they might be a good option. However, there are goats that will produce a lot more like the Nubian goats that we have a lot of people have here. Um, but what do you what do you have, Romy? We had La, Man La Mancha when we were uh, milking. Mm -hmm. the ones yeah, that's with a lot really tiny ears um and the one the kids always wanted the the smaller minis because they're so much more playful mm, right <laughs> that's true and they don't look as funny no <laughs> munches look kind of funny <laughs> they do but man they were incredible producers i between the two of them i would get a gallon a day and like i said it was it, wow it was more than we could we could keep up with and the reason we're not anymore is, like you said, you've got to continue milking them or they dry up. We were gone for four days. No more, no more milk. And we just never went back through the process of rebirthing them and having kids again and getting, getting all started over. Why not? Kids are awfully cute. <laughs> there you go. Go kids. Yeah, well, and at that time we had two horses, not ten. And I, we had two kids, not four. So that's a big part of the... <laughs> Of the time oh, yeah, allocation, exactly. uh, you know, yeah. at, at some point we'll come back around to, to, to being able to to bring goat kids back and, and getting milked again. But it's just not the top priority right now. When your human kids are big enough to be able to manage it for e you, exactly. Yeah. yeah <laughs> when exactly. the human kids can manage the goat kids. So somebody oh, wants and, to go ahead, Kari. Oh, I was going to say, my kids when they were home, they were great helpers. They learned to milk do all that you know all the farm stuff yeah so for goats if somebody wanted to get goats what are the top three things you need to make sure that they have you need to have strong fencing <laughs> number one <laughs> yeah they can get out <laughs> and they spend all day when they're not eating looking for a way to get out of the pen <laughs> right so make sure that those gates are strong they can climb they can break chicken wire and they can climb different kinds of fence. So make sure you've got a like a welded wire fence that has really small squares <laughs> so they can't get their hooves in there. Mm -hmm. um, you want to make sure that they have some sort of shelter so that they can get out of the rain or, you know, when it's cold, maybe they need to go inside. 
that shelter. We just used dog loose for our goats. Oh, they would right. go in, but you know they're a smaller breed, so they could get in there pretty well. They need food, and I recommend that you have feeders that are up off the ground because they really don't like to eat food once it's fallen on the ground. Okay. So I, goats will eat anything except the hay you buy that ends up on the ground for oh, some reason. All right. One, <laughs> one more segment with Kari Spencer and Greg Peterson coming up. Well, we've been talking mainly goats, mainly chickens, and the benefit you can get. I mean, the, the two of them, if you've got milking goats and you've got laying chickens, uh, you know, you can live a long time on milk and eggs. But what, what are some other things that uh, people could consider for a backyard livestock that's, that we're not limited to just goats or chickens? That's right. There are quite a few different animals. I would mention for people who don't want, don't have space for chickens, quail, coturnix quail are a great option. They're little small birds that can live in an, in an enclosure in a smaller space and they lay eggs very reliably. Delicious quail eggs. And give me that breed of quail again. Coturnix. Coturnix, um, also, okay. Also called Japanese quail. That's okay. Another, another title for them. And uh, if on uh, the uh, other end of the spectrum, a big bird <laughs> would be turkeys. And I really enjoyed keeping turkeys because I had the space for them and they can get to be very large. So there's a lot of meat that, uh, that you get from raising a turkey. And they also do lay eggs and turkey eggs are huge. <laughs> That's <laughs> <And> an understatement. <laughs> they're, they're a little bit, uh, some people say they're gamier than chicken eggs, but it, once you eat them a little while, you don't even notice that anymore. And they're great. Now, how often will a turkey lay an egg? They're not a regular day layer like a chicken though, right? No, they aren't. They lay, they lay eggs in the spring. They'll lay maybe, I don't know, a dozen, depends on the, the breed, but only certain time of year. Okay. So it's not, it's not year round. For the hens, turkey hens. And what would you Shots. use a turkey egg for? I mean, like an omelet, I mean, since they're so big? Yeah, sure. Okay. Yeah, or in, bake, in baking, maybe you only have to crack one egg for your brownie oh. recipe. Now you're talking. Yeah, they're like three times the size of a chicken egg. They're huge. <laughs> awesome. What about ducks, Kari? Well, ducks, those are fun. Um they're, you know, duck patties that they leave behind. Duck waste is not very fun, but <laughs> as long as you keep them where they're not going to be pooping on your sidewalk, they are wonderful. Also, good for meat and good for eggs. Duck eggs are bigger than chicken eggs, just like the turkey eggs. And a lot of people here in town, I've heard, keep Mus uh, Muscovy ducks. They're not actually a duck. They're some other breed of bird, but they look like a duck. So mm. if somebody says, if it looks like a duck and quacks like a duck and walks like a duck, it is a duck. That's not true because Muscovies are <laughs> not actually <laughs> a duck breed, but they are, they're quieter than other um, breeds of ducks. So Muscovy, those, yeah, a lot of people have those here and 
I do want to mention one that we don't usually consider livestock, but backyard bees are becoming quite popular to have, even in the city. Right. So again, you need to check with your regulations in your city and your HOA, but how wonderful to have your own honey in your backyard. And local honey is great if you have a lot of allergies because you're ingesting, you know, they're taking the pollen from locally and they're, you know, turning it into honey. Well, eating that what's sourced from local will help you have a resistance to local things that are uh, not immune, but it'll help build up your resistance to local pollinators that might otherwise agitate or irritate you. And one thing that's not on here, but I wanted to ask you about, have you, have you either of you guys ever had a peacock? Uh, no. 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 Those guys are loud. <laughs> Very <Yeah>. loud. <laughs> They're fun yeah, at the I, zoo. Believe them there. <laughs> yeah. I hear they can be a bit aggressive too, can't they? Yes. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah, we had some friends that had one, and it would get on the hood of the car and uh, squawk at you and, and try and fight you if you tried to take the car. You know. <laughs> <laughs> ah! He thought that was well, his. There <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah, I've run into them at uh, a couple of wineries in California. As soon as you turn into the parking lot, they're, you know, oh, yeah. gosh, we're going to be hearing this for 20 minutes. Yeah. Now, you've got something going on today, Farmer Greg, for outside of the livestock side of things, uh, more on the planting side of things. Yes, yes. So uh, we, Kari, Bill McDormand, Bellstar, and I, and Janice Norton, about six, seven years ago, started the Great American Seed Up. It's a, a lot of our listeners have been to the event. It usually happens in in the mid-fall. Um and uh, with COVID happening, we actually put a lot of that education online. So we have an event this Saturday called Seed Up Saturday. It's from one until four. That's uh, this afternoon. It's from one until four. And uh, we've got Kari and Bill and Bell and Janice and I. We're teaching different topics. It's on Zoom, all about saving seeds. Uh, it's It's an amazing event. I know we have... Thousands of people already signed up for the event to come and join us, but you'll learn why and how to save seeds on Saturday and why it's important and like that. And you can get all those details at seedupsaturday.com. We've also posted the information in our community calendar, so you can find the link and all the additional information on our website. Uh, Thank you all for joining us. Kari Spencer, Microfarm Project, thank you. Great to be here. Uh, Farmer Greg of the Urban Farm, Mr. Greg Peterson, as Thanks, always sir. a pleasure. And of course, we never, you know, I've got, I've got, I've got everything circled on their talking points. We didn't talk to to roll over next time. Uh, there you go. I always have plenty. Perfect.